Good morning once again. Um, we're wrapping up our Lord's Prayer uh, series, and I hope it's been a blessing for you, as it's been for me. Uh, so today we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 uh, through 17, and then chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Matthew chapter 3, starting from verse 16. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift, up, uh, lift, you, lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you. He said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. This is the word of God. What's going on, everybody? My name is Jordan. I am one of the pastors here. Uh, shout out to everybody here on this fine marathon Sunday. Uh, I've been giving it a lot of thought. I think I could run a marathon. I just need a Rottweiler to chase me the entire way. If you have like a really bad dog running after me, I'm pretty sure I, I'd be able to do it. But my name is Jordan, I'm one of the pastors uh, here. I read a, a story um, about a guy that was in prison for doing what's called a hit and run. Uh, so the guy hit someone and left. And uh, the story of the guy in prison was, uh, it stuck out to me uh, what he said led up to him being there. Uh, one night, he was driving, and it was dark outside, and he hit someone, and as soon as he hit someone, he realized, I could either stop and do the right thing and see if this person can get medical attention, or I could just get out of here and shake out. And he decided to leave, uh, and he got caught, they found him, the detectives retraced the scene and, and, and found him later and, and matched his car, and he was in prison for the rest uh, of his life. But what's interesting is that he was telling the story about um, why he was there, and he said that his entire life, he's basically lived a life of deception and, and lying. And when he was younger, he could retrace it to one specific moment, one time when this thing started to form his character. His dad had a watch that his, he really loved, and every single day, his dad would take it out the handkerchief and look at it and polish it and shine it, uh, but his dad told the kids, don't ever touch this watch for any reason. This is not a toy, this is not a game. And kids who are kids, they do the opposite of what you tell them to do. They look at you and they nod their head and they know they're going to do it as soon as you turn your back. Um, so the, the man, uh, when he was a child, goes in the closet, uh, goes in the drawer, takes the watch out, starts playing with it, and he drops it. And it cracks. His father's prized possession, broken. Father finds out a couple weeks later, lines all the kids up and says, who broke it? One, the man looked around at his siblings, pretended like he didn't know, and he got away with it. He says that day, uh, something inside of him started to form. 
That day, he realized that when he was faced with a tough decision, instead of telling the truth, instead of being honest, instead of coming out and saying, I was the one who did it, uh, and, and, and taking ownership for what he did, he would lie. He said all throughout middle school, in high school, in college, when he was confronted with a difficult situation, he would try whatever he could to weasel out of the situation, that he wouldn't be honest, that he would hide any way he could. And eventually, one day, there was a big test. One day, there was a really huge test, a literal life and death test, and he failed. Now, here's what we're going to see as we unpack the Lord's Prayer today. Uh, and Jesus gives us this line in the Lord's Prayer to lead us not into temptation, that everything we do, uh, there's more at stake than what it seems. There's more at stake for your day-to-day -day mundane decisions than what you can see right now. That all of your decisions are taking you in one direction or another. That our decisions that we make, the life that we're living, uh, the character that's being formed in us right now, it doesn't leave us in the same place, but it takes us uh, in one direction or another. And Jesus knows that life is filled with little tests and big ones. And the only way you and I are going to come through on the other side in a life where we're seeking God is if we learn to pray this prayer. Lord, deliver us from the evil one. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, if this is your first uh, time at Renaissance or your first time in a long time, uh, for the last couple of weeks, we've been going through this prayer, uh, oftentimes called the Lord's Prayer. And it's Jesus' words where he's teaching us how to connect to God. And even if you're not a church person, even if you're new, uh, I'm sure you might have heard somebody pray this before, or you might have prayed it, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And the line we're going to focus in on today, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Lead us not into temptation. Now, our goal in this series is pretty simple. We've said it week after week. Um, to live a life where you follow Jesus, Jesus does a couple of things in following him. Um, that means we're going we're gonna to learn, we're going to unlearn, and we're going to relearn. We're going to learn what it means to connect to God. This entire prayer started when Jesus' disciples came up to him and said, Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? Because uh, inside of us, innately, we don't, um, we're not born with a connection to God. Since the fall of man, there's always been a disruption between us and God. And his disciples recognized that. And they said, Jesus, we're not connecting to God in the same way that you are. We want to learn from you. And Jesus teaches them, if you really want to connect with God, this is how you should pray. That God is not a boss or a coworker like anything like that in the sky. God is not a detached being, but God is, in fact, a father. And what's most important is his kingdom and, and his will. And line by line, Jesus teaches us what it really means to connect to God, our Father. And we're learning things, and not just learning things, but he challenges us to unlearn things that we thought we knew that are incorrect. And to live a life where Jesus is a Lord in your life means that he's going to challenge you on some stuff. And some things that you previously held true, uh, you'll now realize that they were taking you in the wrong direction. Now, this petition is for God to lead us. Um, God to lead us. Two very simple words, God, lead me. Now, here's what's embedded in that very uh, small petition. God, lead me because I can't lead myself. Now, I know a lot of you got great jobs and degrees. You got more degrees than a thermometer, right? 
and you, you got it all going on. You, you got the hood pass. As soon as you walk outside, everybody knows who you are, and people pay respect. And, and no matter what good you have going on in your life, it doesn't matter how good-looking you are, all of us, all of us, all of us, all of us are not able, we're not capable to be the captains of our own lives. And the very simple truth about Christianity is that we need someone to lead us. And if we forget that, you and I are, are liable to end up in temptation. Because there's something inside of us, and here's what Jesus is getting at, there's something inside of us that would draw us in a direction that is away from God. And the biggest dangers that we see are not dangers outside of us. It's not your cousin. It's not your coworker. It's not your roommate. It's not your bank account, however minuscule it might be at the moment. Right? The biggest problems that you and I have are inside of us. It's inside of you. It's a temptation that you and I have that will take us away from God. And if you and I, listen, if we do not recalibrate, and if we are not intentional about giving our lives, giving the direction of our lives to Jesus, you and I will be drawn in the opposite direction. And everything, every decision that we make, listen, it's always bigger than what we can see at the moment. Here's what Jesus is getting at, that there's no real, genuine prayer that ignores the struggles of our fallen world, the titanic battle between good and evil that rages around us and, more specifically, within us. Since the Garden of Eden, evil has lurked in the shadows of our hearts, and sin has conspired to destroy us. God gives Cain a warning. Cain and Abel, the, the two brothers uh, in Genesis, he says, Sin is crouching at your door, and it desires to have you, but you must master it. In 1 Peter, Peter tells us that the enemy, the devil, w walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now, this is not something we would think about on a day-to-day -day basis, but here Jesus is getting at something uh, very, very critical to your spiritual formation, very critical to your walk with God, very critical to you approaching God, that there is an enemy, and he's trying to deceive you. There is an enemy, and he's trying to lead you astray, and it's not in these huge big moments that will happen one day, but it's in the small, minuscule decisions that you are making today. This guy who ended up in prison for the hit and run, when he made the decision to hide from his father, he had no idea that this small decision that he was making uh, was forming his character, and it was leading him in a direction. And there's always more at stake than what we can see in the moment. There's always much more at stake than what we can see at the moment. Um, everything in, for you, in your life, everything good about you, uh, everything good and everything bad about you has taken time for you to get there. Every good relationship that you enjoy today, it's taken time. Every good thing about your character, it's taken time to develop. And simultaneously, the tough things and the bad things about us took us time. One of the easiest ways to talk about this is looking at our own bodies, right? Anybody ever go to the gym after that one hard workout? You on an ab machine going dumb hard for like 30 minutes? And you're like, when I'm done, I'm going to have a six-pack. As soon as you get home, you run, close the door. You don't want anybody seeing you in the bathroom. Take your shirt off and look at your stomach. Behold, the, <laughs> the same stomach you had uh, yesterday. Uh, everything good and bad in our lives takes us a while to get there. Uh, and although things don't come with immediate results, it doesn't mean that it's not impacting you. It doesn't mean that it's not shaping you, even if you can't see it. If you do that over the course of a year, you watch your diet over the course of a year, and you cut back on the carbs. Uh, sorry, we serve bagels every Sunday for you guys not making it easier for you. 
Uh, if you were to do these things over the year, you would be shaped. You would be formed to look differently. Same thing is true. Whether or not you can see the immediate pack, uh, impact of what's going on, the decisions in your life, what these little small things are doing, they are forming you. They are shaping you to be something. And Jesus uh, wakes us up a little bit and shakes us in this passage by saying, listen, genuine prayer requires that we struggle with the reality that you and I are, are prone to wander. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love, uh, one songwriter says. And unless we make this daily petition, Lord, lead us, you and I um, are in danger of making some pretty terrible decisions, and there's always more at stake than what we can see. Uh, here's what's at stake, a couple things for you. Uh, your future. Your future is at stake, quite honestly. Um, this is not the happiest thing to think about, but certainly this is easier to see in other people than it is to see in yourself. This is why parents freak out about every little thing their kids do, because they see the future of what's going to happen if their kid continues to make this decision. And it's not just that the seven-year-old doesn't want to brush his teeth now. It's that a lifestyle of not brushing his teeth means that one day he's going to be called dragon breath, right? <laughs> and he's going to be known as the kid with dragon breath, and he's going to ruin his life. He's going to have a low self-esteem, and he'll be in counseling, right? And he's like, yo... I just wanted to like watch TV. I just didn't want to brush my teeth. But you can see, listen, the cumulative effect of these decisions, it leads you somewhere. And, and check this out. God, our Heavenly Father, knows this for you. That the cumulative decisions that you and I are making today, uh, things that you're tempted to do, things that are, that are enticing, things that look good, things that would feel good, these decisions would take you in a different direction uh, than what God wants us to go in. Not only is it your future that's at stake, but equally important, it's a future of someone you love. Now, it's difficult to um, overestimate how communal uh, this prayer is. And Jesus tells us uh, when we pray this, it's not my father, it's our father who art in heaven. You know, deliver us from the evil one. Forgive us our debts um, and, and lead us. It's a, it's a, even though our walk with God is very personal, it's also simultaneously, it's not individual. Right? Your walk with God is personal. It's very personal, but it's not individual. It doesn't just affect you. The decisions that you make will affect your family, your kids, your parents, your brother, your sister, your coworkers, your friends, your spouses, your significant other, whoever it is. The decisions that we make, it impacts them. Now, not only does it affect your future or the future of someone you love, but it affects your relationship with God. And I want to go really slowly on this one. Every time you and I sin or um, go astray from what God calls us to do, and I'm really intentional about using that word here, even though I know it's a kind of taboo word, um, it's not a mistake, right? A mistake is calling Malachi Malachi. That's a mistake. <laughs> but when you and I sin, when we intentionally choose to go away from God in his way, uh, there's something that's broken. And this is true for every single relationship. If you have a friend and it's your birthday, and you're super excited to share your birthday, and they're like, oh, you know what? I don't, feel like, I don't feel like coming out tonight. And you're like, oh, okay, cool. You know, they don't come out for your birthday, and you check, you check the gram. Meanwhile, they went out. And you're like, oh, okay. I see how they do, right? That act, right, it breaches the confidence. It disrupts the relationship. And here's what um, Jesus is getting at uh, with this prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. There's always breaks that happen in our sin. When we, when we choose to go away from God, uh, it disrupts our relationship with God. Now, 
want to be really, really clear that God is, is gracious and God welcomes us back and God uh, does not leave us alone to figure this whole thing out by ourselves. And I don't want everybody, I don't want anybody walking out of here scared to do anything and you're terrified that if you look the wrong way for two seconds, God will give you up forever. That's not what I'm saying and please don't hear me saying that. That being said, every single time uh, I've spoken to someone who has left the faith, quote unquote, uh, they didn't leave because of a theological argument. Right? This is what happens, and this is my experience. There may be a loophole to this one. Uh, someone starts um, out doing something that they know they shouldn't be doing. Uh, they've given in to this temptation, and eventually, slowly but surely, it starts to drag them away. And then later, only then, much later after they've done that, that's when they start to have philosophical and theological disagreements about God. Now they have a problem with whether or not Noah built the ark. But that wasn't where it started. Listen, that's not where it started. It started with a hardening of the heart. That time after time after time, we, we were sinning and we were being dragged away by our temptations. That's what it says in James. It talks about our own temptations drag us away. And when that happens, later you'll feel somebody coming back and they'll say they got all these arguments against Christianity. They got all these arguments about why it doesn't make sense. And it started because their own heart was starting to be hardened against God. In Hebrews 3 and 12 through 14, it says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened. None of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. Paul, uh, the author of Hebrews here is talking to Christians. See to it, brothers and sisters. He's not talking to people on the sidelines. He's saying, listen, you brothers and sisters, you people have put, who have put your faith in Jesus, you see to it um, that you do not let anybody become hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Uh, nobody in here, I'm sure, um, farms on, on a day-to-day -day basis or plants something. Uh, but this is what I do know of planting. You cannot plant something where the soil is not receptive to it. You cannot plant any seed on concrete. I know that. I don't know a lot about home and garden television, but I can, I can promise you I know that. That the first step in any type of endeavor where you're going to plant something, you have to first break up the soil. And this is what the writer of Hebrews is telling us what happens to our heart when we give in to temptation, is that slowly but surely, your heart starts to become hardened. That the truths that would originally impact you no longer impact you. That the things that would originally motivate you and convict you, they no longer motivate and convict you because there has been a hardening of our hearts. Now, Jesus' call to us, I hope it's a little bit concerning and alarming to all of us, um, that you and I are not being dragged away and that our hearts are not being hardened. I've seen this happen so many times in relationships uh, where one person in the couple um, takes a stance that they're not going to do this. No matter what, I'm not going to apologize period. And I see the hardening of the heart. And eventually, what started out as a little disagreement now becomes contempt for their spouse. And slowly but surely, there's a distancing. And this is what Jesus is getting at, talking about temptation. What's at stake here is our relationship with God, that these little day-to-day -day decisions are taking us somewhere. These day-to-day -day compulsions that we have, if we are not careful to pray to the Lord to lead us, not into temptation and deliver us from the evil one, uh, we can end up with a hardened heart, hardened against God. Sin has the power to deceive, and there's always more at stake than we can actually see. Uh, the Bible calls it strongholds. 
Uh, strongholds, don't start with logical arguments against your faith. It doesn't start with a tweet that you read that made you doubt, but sins, deceitfulness, it's never an isolated action. It's always taking us somewhere, and it can harden us against God. It can harden us against the people that we love. Now, this is what Jesus is talk, uh, talking about when he's teaching us to pray, and here's probably one of the most difficult parts of what this does. It causes you, therefore, to question the character of God. That's what temptation does. After we, our hearts are hardened, uh, no longer are we just questioning who God is or what, you know, what God has done, yada, 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 or uh, we're not arguing about small things. Now we get into the territory of, can I trust God? Does God like me? Does God love me? Will God provide for me? Will God protect me? All of these questions now start to swirl in our heads. Now we have, um, we see a temptation in scripture uh, that I want to unpack because I think this is really, really helpful to help move us um, to see how it is that the enemy tries to tempt us in our life. And uh, really quickly, I know we're talking about the enemy, the devil, and there's like two camps of people generally when you talk about the devil. There's one camp, uh, you know, you went to college, you had an English professor that told you all of this was baloney and you don't believe in the devil or anything like that. You know, everything is rational, everything has an explanation. It's just people doing people stuff. So you think an enemy is non-existent. And there's another group of people Y'all just blame the devil for everything, right? All my, where my Caribbeans and my Africans at? Y'all love, y'all love you some devil. The devil is a liar, right? Everything, you got a C on your test and you think it's the devil. No, you're just not good at math. That's what it is. Uh, C.S. Lewis once wrote that the, the devil is kind of like uh, the puffing lizard. Uh, this is like in Arizona and other parts of the United States. The puffing lizard has two defense mechanisms. One, it puffs itself up and it pretends to be bigger than what it really is. Or two, it plays dead. And C.S. Lewis said that's what the devil is like. It puffs itself up to be bigger than what he is. And you're blaming him. You're looking around every corner for the devil. Or it plays dead. And you're like, well, devil's not a thing. And this is what Jesus is saying, that there is a lion roaring around looking for whom he can devour. And it's real. And, and Jesus tells us to be aware, to be awake, stay woke, because his enemy is real and he does tempt us. And we see this really clearly in um, uh, Matthew 4, the scripture that Lester read. Uh, it starts off with Jesus getting baptized in Matthew 3:16. It says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water at that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Now, this is God the Father telling God the Son that I am well pleased with who you are, right? Very clear that this is, everything is all good. The next verse, it says, uh, certainly in Mark's gospel, when he describes it, he says, immediately thereafter, Jesus was led by the Spirit uh, to the desert to be, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And this is the first thing I want to make sure we get really clearly that you experiencing temptation is not a sign that God is displeased with you at all. God was very pleased with Jesus. Jesus experienced temptation. If you experience temptation, there is nothing wrong with you. God was very pleased with Jesus. He experienced temptation. Temptation is one of the tools for whatever reason that God decides that God uses to mature us, to grow us, to deepen our trust in him, his character, his nature, and all these different things. And if you are, are, you know, when we're talking about temptation and you're thinking about some things swirling in your head and you're beating yourself up already, don't, 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 don't. Uh, God allows people who he loves and cares for and is pleased with to be uh, tempted. But more importantly, we see how Satan operates. Um, we see how Satan 
operates. And here's three ways that we see this in Matthew 4. If you guys are taking notes, uh, get this down. Three things that we see in Matthew 4, how the enemy tempts us. He tempts us to meet a legitimate need in an ungodly way. He tempts us to tie your identity to your activity. And he tempts you to use God for your own benefit. To meet a legitimate need in an ungodly way. To tie your identity to your activity or to use God for your own benefit. If you still got your Bibles open, turn to Matthew 4, 2 and 3. Uh, We'll see the first one. It says, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Now, this is a deep theological truth. If you don't eat, you're going to be hungry, right? Uh, The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now, here's what's going on. And some of you guys have fasted for medical reasons. Uh, You had to go into the doctor for a test and they wouldn't let you eat for 24 hours or you fasted for spiritual reasons and you're fasting trying to hear God. And uh, this is what you discover very quickly when you're fasting. Man, I need to eat, right? You get a headache, your breath starts to stink with the hungry breath. You feel weak and you're just mad at everybody. You just start judging everybody who's eating. Like this, she makes me sick just eating that food. Now, it's a very natural reaction to be hungry. Your body needs food to live. It's not a a difficult thing to put together. And this is what is going on. The enemy is trying to tempt Jesus to meet a very legitimate need that he has, food, in an ungodly way. Now, why is it so ungodly for Jesus to turn the stones to bread, right? Jesus did miracles. He turned water into wine to keep the party going, right? What's wrong with turning these stones to bread? Let's just keep this thing moving. Now, Jesus' primary purpose of being here on this planet was not to be served, but to serve. He says, I did not come here but to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And here's what the enemy was trying to do. He was trying to say, Jesus, use your, use your power for yourself. Now, every miracle that you'll see Jesus doing in the New Testament, he does it to bring his father glory and to establish himself as, the son, uh, as a sinless savior uh, for us and to, to pronounce the, the coming of the kingdom of God. But it wasn't so that he can serve himself, but rather so he can empty himself out for us. And here's what the enemy does. He tries to pervert our purposes here. He tries to uh, get us to use um, really legitimate ways, uh, things that we really legitimately want, and he tries to get us to meet it in ungodly ways. There's a couple of things that I've noticed in, in my own life, um, how the enemy does it. Uh, the first one is companionship. And I've seen this so often in this church. We all have a legitimate need for companionship. All have a very little legitimate need for companionship. This is why solitary, uh, um, um, solitude and solitary confinement uh, is, solitary confinement is torture, basically, because you're not around people. Even for you introverts, you need to be around people every now and then. Surprise, surprise, right? Now, companionship, having a connection to people is a real legitimate need. And this is what I've seen happen over and over and over again. People use this legitimate need, and they meet it in ungodly ways, so they get in relationships they have no business being in. People that are dragging them away from their faith and their walk with God, all to meet this need. And this is what the enemy does. He tries to tempt you to meet a legitimate need, companionship. You need to be with people, right? Fine as you are, alone on a Friday night? Come on. (laughs) And he tries to convince us to meet these legitimate needs in 
godly ways. And I've seen so many people whose their, their relationship with God has been severely damaged because they've been hearing that, oh, since this need is legitimate, I'll do whatever it is to, to get me there. And that's, and that's difficult. And here's another thing that I've seen. Uh, the devil always screams to us now and never later. The temptations that come our way are never about Tuesday. They're always about now. You need this and you need this now. And God can't be trusted to give it to you because he hasn't given it to you yet. So don't wait for what God is doing. Don't wait to, uh, to, for God to provide. You have this need. You have this need. You should go get it. Do whatever you can to, to go get it. Not just companionship. Here's another one. This is probably bigger for me. Uh, we all have a need for affirmation. Uh, early in Matthew 3, and 16 and 17, you see uh, God the Father giving Jesus, God the Son, affirmation. This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Affirmation is a really, really good thing. Us wanting to, uh, uh, to have God, to, be, to, to please God, that's a really good thing. We want God to think of us and to, to think well. And then if you place your faith in Jesus, then God tells that over your own life. This is my son. This is my daughter in whom I am well, well pleased. And that's the beauty of the gospel. But a lot of us, certainly myself included, uh, we go after affirmation, uh, a legitimate need, in ungodly ways. And it's so interesting because uh, affirmation is such a hardwired thing. Uh, my son, we bought him um, a little Fisher-Price basketball hoop. Uh, he's going to go to the NBA. I don't know what year it's going to be, but he's going to take the Knicks to the championship, and the curse is broken. Uh, every time he goes to the basketball hoop now, he's been conditioned to not even really look to see whether or not the ball goes in the hoop, but he just turns around and starts saying, yay, yay, yay. He runs, he's, yay, yay. And this is what I've seen in him, and it gave me chills when I thought about it. Even more important than our performance, what we do or what we don't do, deep down inside, what we really want is affirmation. We really want people to notice us. We really want people to think well of us. We really want people to speak well of us. When, they, when our name comes up in a conversation, we want them to affirm us and that people, we want to be liked. And there's nothing uh, uh, wrong with people liking us at all. I'm not trying to set you out to be hated by people. But we can go after affirmation in ungodly ways. And here's a couple of ways um, that we can do it. It means that you change your position on something or you soften what you really believe so that people don't disapprove of you. That you downplay who you really are. You downplay what you really believe so that your coworkers, your friends, your classmates, uh, your relatives, uh, they won't disapprove of you because deep down inside, you really want their affirmation. You're going after their affirmation in ungodly ways. Saying yes to something that you know you don't have time to do because you're afraid to say no because you don't want to disappoint somebody else. You're afraid of their disapproval or disappointing them because you might not get their affirmation uh, if you say no to something. So you have loaded your calendar so full with stuff that you don't really need to be doing uh, because you don't want to say no. You're too scared to say no. Here's another one. People, you spread ba uh, bad news and gossip about people, right? You think that your candle will, will, will shine brighter if you blow theirs out. So you're the person that's always talking down about people. You're always spreading little prayer requests about um, people's lives. <laughs> and you're spreading all this information. And here's what the person that's gossiping about people wants. They really want affirmation. They really want you to notice them. And they really want you to speak well of them. So I got to push everybody else down so that you can see me and how good I am. And you can affirm me. You can tell me that, well, you're not like that. You ain't two-faced like so-and-so is. Last way, and this is something that we talked about before, you exaggerate stories about your life to sound better. Uh, you exaggerate the details of what's going on in your life, your real struggles, your real successes, so that people, uh, it sounds better. So that you can 
uh, show up at the party or show up somewhere and people will affirm you because you told this great, crazy story. Uh, your life is going so fantastic and you have this nice, polished uh, Instagram version of life where everything is fantastic and, uh, and nothing is going wrong. And we exaggerate details about our lives or we downplay things when we tell people about how we're really doing because we want people to affirm us. And the enemy deep down inside is trying to cause us to look for affirmation in ungodly ways. Second thing we see in the scripture is the enemy was trying to tempt Jesus to tie his identity to his activity. Uh, look at verses 5 through 7 in Matthew 4. It says, Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, do not put the Lord, your God, to the test. The enemy was trying to tie Jesus' identity, who he was. Listen to what he says. If you're the son of God, then you'll do this. If you're real, if you are really the son of God, then do this, then prove it. Because he's saying your identity is your activity. If you can't do this, then you're really not a child of God. This is what the enemy does to us, and this is why so many of us, myself included, walk around with this low-level guilt all the time that you're not doing enough. Because the enemy is telling us that your activity is not that great. If you're really a child of God, if you're really a Christian, if you're a real follower, then you would do this. And we walk around depressed and beat up and defeated because we've tied our identity to our activity. And here's the beauty of the gospel. You are not what you do. You are not what you do. You are who you are. Galatians 4 and 7 says it like this. Um, because you are his sons, God has sent his spirit into, um, sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit uh, who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer slaves, but God's children. Here's what Paul is getting at in that scripture in Galatians. When the children of Israel were in slavery in Egypt, their value was completely dependent on how many bricks they made day after day after day. That was their value. Their value to the king, their value to Pharaoh, their value in society, their identity was based on how many bricks they made. But then Paul says this, and listen, if you are a child of God, God has sent his spirit into your heart, and now you are a child of God, not a slave. So no matter how much you produce or don't produce, you are a child of God. God loves you. God loves you. If you have placed your faith in Christ, God loves you, and there's nothing you can do about it. Uh, Ma, we were away this past weekend. Um, and uh, my parents sent me pictures of my son. Uh, they, they kept a steady stream of pictures coming. And it was one picture, and he just had like boogers just draining galore, right? Boogers on boogers on boogers coming out of, uh, of his nose. And me and my wife stared at that picture for like a half hour. It was like the greatest thing in the world to look at. Um, because here's this thing. Listen, his, how cleaned up he is doesn't take him from being my son. I hope we wiped the, we got the, the little snot rags to get, to get all that stuff up. But whether or not he has boogers or not, clean, di clean diaper, dirty diaper, whatever it is, he is my son. And if he is the first person to read on the planet, fantastic. If he's delayed in his development, he's still my son. And this is what the enemy would, would lie to you and tell you to do. And this is how he tempts us. Uh, he, he feeds us this guilt that your identity is your activity. And unless you've been hitting home runs day after day after day after day, you don't deserve to be even considered a Christian. Now, this is not a license to do whatever it is that we want to do, but it is um, 
a challenge. What is it that we actually believe about our relationship with God? What is it that we actually believe that makes us good with God? Is it how good you've done yesterday or today? Or is it what God has done for us eternally in Jesus Christ that has secured for us our place with God? Second thing we see uh, is, so God, us, the enemy trying to um, tie our identity to our activity. And the third one is uh, equally challenging. Uh, it says um, we would use God for our own benefit. Third way that the enemy would try to tempt you is so that you would use God for your own benefit. And here's, it has all the trappings of religiosity. It looks just like being a religious person. It looks just like following Jesus. But deep down inside, your heart is really trying to use God for your own benefit for yourself. In verses 9 and 10, uh, the enemy is tempting Jesus. He says, Jesus, all this I will give to you. And he's pointing uh, down to all the kingdoms of all the worlds. He's saying, all this I will give to you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now, in some ways, the way that the enemy tempts us is in direct contradiction to the Lord's prayer, right? Jesus calls us to lay down our kingdom in pursuit of God's kingdom. He says, our kingdom go, your kingdom come, right? He calls us to, to forsake our will so that God's will could be done. And here's what the enemy is doing, saying like, yo, if you really want everything you want, like, I can give it to you. All you have to do is this, this, and this. This is, this is the way we're tempted. We're tempted to try to use God for our own benefit. And here's one of the cleanest ways and, the, and the, uh, the best ways I understand it is how you and I act when we don't get the thing that we wanted. When you don't have um, the relationship you wanted at this time, the bank account, the job, the whatever it is, fill in the blank. Oftentimes, when there is bitterness and, and anger at God, that's a telltale sign that all along you weren't in it for God. You were in it for yourself. Oftentimes I see this in my own heart. Uh, what would happen if God doesn't give me the things that I want? Is God enough? Is Jesus enough? Or is it that I need, uh, I want, I'm trying to use God for my own benefit? In the story of the prodigal son, uh, the older brother and the younger brother, uh, the younger brother goes and spends his money like crazy, blows, the, blows everything that the father has. Uh, he comes back, and the older brother is so mad that the father accepts him into the house. He's like, yo, how dare you give him uh, the fattened calf, and how dare you throw, uh, throw him a party? How dare you do that? All these years, I've been here working for you over and over and over again, and you never gave me the fattened calf. You never did this for me. And here's the reality of that story. The older brother was never doing it for the father. He was doing it for himself. And the enemy would try to tempt us that we would try to use God for our own benefits. Now, here's the beauty of the situation. Here's where I find so much hope, the good news of the gospel, Hebrews 2, 17 and 18. It says, for this reason, he, which is talking about Jesus, had to be made like them. He's talking about us. So Jesus had to be made like us, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This is beautiful. This is, this is amazing right here. Jesus was made like us. I know that he might become, here's what it says, a merciful and faithful high priest. This is what Jesus is. He is merciful and he is faithful. And this is the, the truth of the gospel. Jesus is faithful even when you're not. One scripture says, Jesus is faith, he is faithful even when we're faithless because he cannot deny himself. Our merciful and faithful 
uh, high priest making atonement for our sins. And what's in there? Atonement. Atonement basically means that Jesus wiped the slate clean. And this talks about the temple system where every year there was a priest who would go in behind the veil and they would offer a sacrifice to make everything good between God and the people. And when Jesus asks, tells us to ask God to lead us, that he, to ask Jesus to lead us day by day by day, this is who is, it is that we're asking to lead us, our merciful uh, high priest, our merciful and faithful high priest, the one who has already made it good between us and God. That the goodness of the gospel is not that you have to fix it and get it right on your own, but Jesus has already made it right, and he calls us to himself, and he's merciful. It's the nail-pierced hands that are welcoming you back to him, and he's faithful even when you and I are not. Now, if you come to Jesus, and if you bring to God your frustrations and your fears and your temptations, uh, Jesus doesn't just leave us there either. Um, there's one scripture where Jesus uh, tells people, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge that bad boy out. If your arm causes you to sin, cut that joint off. Now, Jesus is not a fan of the walking dead, right? He's not like uh, super into zombie apocalypse stuff. Uh, this is not about a physical gouging your eye out. It's not about physically hurting yourself. It's not about that at all. Uh, what Jesus is getting at is this. If there is something in your life right now that you know is dragging you in the other direction, you don't need to deal with it. You don't need to talk about it calmly. You need to run as fast as you can in the other direction. In Genesis, when it talks about Joseph and his temptation with Potiphar's wife, it says that she, he ran out of there as fast as he could, and he ran out so fast that her coat, his coat was still in her hands. Even though she was trying to trap him, he ran out of there, and I've seen this over and over and over again. Uh, people who stick around situations that are tempting them, and then they wonder why they've been overcome. And Jesus is saying, don't stay there and wait for the, some supernatural power to endow you. Get out of there. And here's some of the best ways that I've done this personally in my own life. Telling other people in community, uh, we got DNA groups coming up this week. Um, tell people in your community what it is that's tempting you, because sin thrives in the dark thrives, grows like crazy. When you expose it to light, it loses its power over you. Listen, this week, in your community groups and DNA groups, and if you want to get connected, see Lester uh, outside, um, that you would live your life, that you wouldn't have to hide anything, but you would find somebody in your life that you can actually tell them the truth of what's really going on in your life. Now, the second thing we see about Jesus, uh, he'll call us certainly to uh, lay some things down. Uh, but Jesus is faithful, and I love this part the best, even especially in times where you've done these things before, and you're like, you know what? Been there, done that, got the t-shirt, I've tried this, and I'm still not, I'm still failing, I'm still messing up. Here's what I've found in my own life, that God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. And if you've failed, if you messed up, and you feel like you're a failure, you feel like you're a mess up, listen, don't give up. Keep pushing. Keep clinging to Jesus. Keep doing the things that God is calling you to do, and every single day, praying, God, lead us. I can't lead myself. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I uh, thank you for your spirit that leads us in clear ways. God, I pray that you would lead us, not into temptation, and, but deliver us from the evil one. God, you know what's going on in our hearts. You know what's going on in our spirits. Uh, God, will we lay it down before you? Will we find strength and courage in you? Will we find power in you? And God, will we know that you accept us? because of what Jesus has done on the cross. Just let me pray. Amen.